All right. We want to finish today our series that we'd started some weeks ago. I think this will be the sixth week. But the I believe the last week, it depends. Because um, I, got, I got a lot I'd like to impart and, and give to you guys today. And now let me say this concerning this series, How to Be Married. Um, the Lord really put it on my heart that people were going to be helped big time by, by doing this. I think I've studied more for this series than I have for, for things. In a lot. It just took us a lot of preparation on my part, um, which I'm glad to do because I learned a whole lot. Have you enjoyed it some? But the Lord dealt with me that people were really going to be helped through this. And I'm, uh, I'm impressed that it's not just the people that were here, but some of the people that will get it by tape even in years to come. That, that, uh, that folk that, you know, a lot of times folk that are having difficulty, they won't even come see somebody like a pastor. You know, they'll wait until right before it's too late to, to fix it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then as a last ditch effort, OK, I'll go see the pastor before we get the divorce papers. You know what I mean? But but folk will sometimes get a tape series or something like that uh, if they've been having problems. And so I'm impressed that what what's been said and what's been spoken and um, the things we've taught and ministered are going to really help some people. And I want to tell you guys, especially you that are single, I appreciate you um, being so hooked up. I haven't felt at all like like half the crowd is resenting the fact that I'm talking about stuff for married people. Um, so it's been real easy. And if you just really be hooked up today, not be in a real hurry, because I'd like, I, I think I can really get through what we want to, but it's not going to just take 10 minutes, you understand. Amen. So if uh, you help me preach is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Like you do sometimes. Get excited when it's time to or get involved. Don't just don't doze off or anything like that. I'll, I'll read. The, thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. I love you. I really do. I, I, it's such a privilege to be here. <laughs> Hebrews 13, 4 says this. It says, let marriage be held in honor. In the Amplified Bible, it says esteemed, worthy, precious, of great price and especially dear in all things. Marriage is to be held in honor. In other words, everybody, it's to be given a real high place. It's an important thing. It's not a side issue. You know how uh, you know how folk treat marriage a lot these days. Uh, Well, let's just decide to get married while we're in Vegas or let's just decide to get married while we're in Niagara Falls. You know what I mean? That's not esteeming. That's not giving it a place of primary importance in your life, is it? I mean, what what does the Bible tell us to hold in high esteem? Not uh, not everything. I mean, your relationship with God. Absolutely. Uh, talks about esteeming uh, those who who preach and teach to you, things like that. But but then also it says marriage is to be given a high place, a place of importance. It's important to God. Shall we shall we one more time make this good confession? I mean, I'll tell you, when we say the same thing over and over again, it gets in you, doesn't it? So let's say this. We have a strong marriage. Our love grows stronger all the time. I'm going to say husband, wives, say wives. I'm a good husband. I'm considerate, kind, slow to get angry, and a blessing around the house. The blessing of the Lord is on our family. Our family is a testimony of the goodness of God. When God gave me my spouse, he gave me his best. Husbands, say this, my wife is my queen. I treat her like a queen. 
and we should. Now, uh, wives, you say, my husband's the king of our home. And I respect and admire him. Everybody now, we get along great, communicate well, and we don't allow strife in our house. I never speak negatively about my spouse because my words are powerful. I have what I say. Therefore, I say, my marriage is heaven on earth. By the end of this series of messages, my marriage will have taken a big step forward. Amen. Now that has everything to do with uh, you being a doer of this series of messages. But anyhow, we've talked about so much. We talked about God's ideal for marriage, and then we've spent most of the rest of our time talking about different problems that people have. Number one problem, people just don't understand the differences between men and women, right? Then we talked about the, the very controversial and, and uh, confusing to a lot of people subject of submission in marriage. Then this last week, we talked about marital stress points, the four main areas that couples have problems in, uh, religion, children, money, and sex. Uh, you'll find along with any other problems, those seem to be the four biggies that almost everybody will experience something problems in those areas. So we talked about those at great length. And uh, we especially had fun talking about sex in church. Wasn't that great? <laughs> Amen. But if, we, if you're old enough to do it, you're old enough to talk about it. Is that right? Now, today we want to wrap things up here. And I believe we're going to be able to. Uh, we're going to talk about something that's going to encompass almost everything we've talked about before. You know, when the enemy attacks a marriage, and we, we did establish the fact that Satan is very much against any union where people are hooked up with God. You know, the Bible says, we didn't look at the verse, but the Bible says uh, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And so your marriage is not just between two people. It was never intended to be just between two people. It's you, the spouse, and the Lord. I mean, you get all three of you together, what, you got a, a, a threefold cord there, and it's not broken easily. Amen. So, of course, the enemy is very much against marriage. But since when did God ask the enemy if that was okay to do something? Never. But when the enemy attacks a marriage, what he does is he brings to you a trial or a test or an adversity. But that doesn't cause marriage problems alone. How we react and how we handle the test or how we fail to correctly handle the test. That's what leads to marriage problems. All right. And there's an element in particular that will turn a trial into trouble. And it's this area that marriages, no matter what one of those four big areas we talked about, no matter what what area you're talking about, along with that, you're going to find problems in the area of communication. I, I mean, just say, for instance, it's money. Well, what is the what is the root of your money troubles? Is it just the income? We said most of the time money problems have very little to do with insufficient income. How what is it? It's how you handle it. It's how you it's how you manage or mismanage it. Things like that. Um, but but how did you get mismanaged? Probably there's communication problems in there somewhere. Would everybody agree with that? You know, um, so a lack of effective communication is one of the big things, and that, that's going to just cover every area we've talked about so, so far. Communication involves a lot more than talking, right? Of course, you can scream and communicate. That's not what we're going to call effective communication, but uh, communication includes your tone of voice, your inflections, your attitude, uh, your touching, right? Your timing, 
uh, everybody would recognize this statement. It's not what you say, it's, it's how you say it. Is there some truth to that or what? Big time. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. Uh, communication, I looked it up in the dictionary. It's a giving or receiving of information, signals or messages by talk, gestures, writing, and so forth. And it also says communication means to impart, to pass along, to transmit, to make known, to give, to be connected. And that goes right along with what's, what's our definition of marriage. Uh, remember that one, my favorite one, you know, was that nautical term, an intertwining of ropes. Well, you're connected. And so uh, marriage without communication well, let me say it this way, for a relationship to enjoy long-term success, you're going to have to have good communication constantly taking place. Amen. Now, this time of the year, you're going to see a lot of TV commercials, of course, um, wanting you to do the big things, right? The jewelry, the flowers. How many know a diamond is forever? Have you ever seen that? And, and nothing against those things. Amen, ladies? How many were you would accept a nice new diamond? You'd accept it. And so those things, when you can do them, those are important. But do you know that how you relate to one another day to day has a much greater impact than any one time event that happens? Hmm? Now you need both. But it's how, it's how you day to day relate to one another that's going to make your marriage. It's, it's, it's those little things. There's a verse in Song of Solomon. Uh, the second chapter, 15th verse, it says the, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. The little foxes that spoil the vine. Do you know when you have trouble, most of the time, it's not some huge thing that comes against you. It's, it's just a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here. And doesn't the devil like to use the pile-up technique? Hmm? Keep piling it on, keep piling on, let's see how much it can take until it breaks. Amen. Jesus, on the other hand, is the opposite. He said, my yoke is easy. My burden is what? Light. Aren't you glad about that? Thankful for Jesus. Easy and light. Amen. If it's burdensome, then something's wrong somewhere. We've got to find out what. Amen. Lots of times it's, uh, we're not casting our cares on the Lord. Well, speaking of Song of Solomon, that's a, good, that's a good book to read to watch two lovers communicate. Now, if you're, if you're a person that's uncomfortable talking about sex, that's a good book to read together to get you comfortable because you can at least read the script. You know what I'm saying? Song of Solomon. It's in the, you know, sex is one of the biggest problems in marriage. It's also interesting that Song of Solomon is about the most neglected book in the Bible. What if we turn that around? And people, couples especially. I mean, I don't even recommend single people read it a whole lot. I mean, it's almost erotic. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, why don't we turn there? <laughs> We're not going to read the whole thing, but, but there's some good verses. Uh, Song of Solomon. How many don't even know where it is? How many didn't know it was in the Bible? It's after, uh, it's after Proverbs or after Ecclesiastes. It's, it's right before Isaiah. Is that right? So if you find Isaiah, that's a pretty big book. Go back and then go to the fifth chapter of the Song of Solomon. It may say Song of Songs in your Bible. It depends. But anyhow, Solomon wrote it. 
And it's a love story. And listen, everybody, it's not just... When Solomon wrote it, he really wasn't even walking with God all that much. I don't know if you know this or not, but Solomon was used to write books like the Proverbs. King Solomon, he was one of the wisest men ever. And, uh, but there, be, there came a time he disobeyed God in a lot of areas, got involved with things the Lord said, don't. And then he lost the anointing and then opened him up to all kinds of other stuff. But, but then after that point, he still wrote a couple books of the Bible, and it's in the Bible to show us what life looks like from a, from a lost person or a backslidden person's perspective. The book of Ecclesiastes is one of those books. If you read that book without that knowledge of how it was written, you'll get depressed. Vanity of vanities. Life is vanity. Was well, that the teaching of the whole Bible? God, no, that's not life more abundantly. But see, from his perspective, you walk with the Lord and then you turn back. You're going to be the most miserable person I've ever met. Amen. Especially somebody that's, that's known the things of God. They, they, they get terribly miserable because they're out, way out, way out of where they should be. But anyhow, Song of Solomon is a book about a lover, uh, two lovers, but it also is a reflection of our relationship with the Lord. So there's some great um, symbolism in, in there. But look what, uh, look what the 16th verse, the last verse in the 5th chapter says. It's the woman talking, which it normally is. Just seeing if you're awake. Just seeing if you're awake. She says, His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my lover. This is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Do you like that verse? Did you say that about, would you say that about your husband? His mouth is sweet and altogether lovely. She's not just talking about the, the shape of his lips. I got some, I got some big lips. I mean, I, I used to bust them open when I was a kid every other day. And then playing saxophone from years, you know, they kind of swelled up. But, but anyhow, he's not talking about the physical shape. His mouth is sweetness itself. He's altogether lovely. Uh, the, the Living Bible says his mouth is altogether sweet, lovable in every way. So you see here that uh, they're not just lovers, they're friends also. How important is that? You know, you need to start out a, a relationship as friends, not as lovers, the way the world tells you to do it. One of the best reasons I know for saving sex till marriage is to develop a good friendship in, a, in your marriage relationship when you get to that point. Amen. It takes time to develop a strong friendship. You know, when you start out as lovers and don't develop a good friendship, you go from lovers to roommates, to alone. Amen. Anybody, uh, you could testify that you know a married couple, that they live together, but they're more just roommates than married. There's not much married about them. You know what I mean? They don't even necessarily like each other anymore. But they just live together. It's easier than moving out and finding your own place. And, you know, lots of folk like that. Lots and lots of them. But notice in this verse, the words that he had spoken to her ignited the fires of love in her. We're talking about communication. We're going to give you some keys today for good communication in a marriage. That, would, that must mean that he communicated more to her than just a grunt in response to a question. Now, are, are men known for that? No. No, he communicated more. Like I said, 
uh, read the book, you'll see he said some, some things to her that no woman could resist. Amen. I can tell you, I read some of the things she said. And if it was my wife saying those things to me, would she talk sweet to me? You know what I mean. Um, our plans would change for the evening. Come on, somebody. But we talked about the differences now of between men and women. And among their differences, they also communicate differently. And now this is just a scientific fact. This is not a slam on women, but women do speak many more words per day on average, generally, than women. Anybody know how many? I don't know how many. A lot of words, a lot more words than, than men. And now, now here again, we're just, we're just giving you the facts. We're not trying to, to make anybody upset or nothing. But in this book, the Song of Solomon, you read through it. It's only how many chapters? Seven, eight chapters. You'll see that the woman says about twice as much as the man does. In there. Interesting, if not, nothing else. But listen, that does not automatically make the woman a better communicator, nor does it automatically make the man a poor communicator. Um, you need to learn the tendencies of one another. Women tend to respond to adversity. And we said, that's how, how do you get marriage problems? It's not the test, it's not the trial, it's not the adversity, it's how you respond to it, it's how you react to it, it's how you handle it. Women tend to respond to adversity by talking it out. That's just a tendency. If it's not you, it's not you. Man's tendency is to try and fix it. That's just our tendency. And I know that's true in my life. You know, if you're going to communicate effectively, you have to meet in the middle. Men need to come to the table more, don't they? And exercise another important communication skill. Listening. Doesn't James say, let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry? But most people practice that verse in reverse. They're quick to speak, quick to fly off the handle, and real slow to listen. Well, that's not going to get the job done, is it? So men, need, they need to come to the table more and listen. And then women, there's sometimes that they need to have the understanding that it's now time to back off and give some space to Mr. Fix-It. Right. So you have to meet there in the middle. I'm going to give you a little thing that you can remember real easy here. Like I said, these are just tendencies. Women like to talk it out. Men like to work it out. Did you get that? Women like to talk it out. Men like to work it out. Now, how do you get communication problems? It comes from this one word, misunderstanding. Misunderstanding. Anybody, have you ever had a misunderstanding, you don't have to raise your hand, with your spouse? It was a communication problem. Well, husband and wives, both of them, tend to say things slightly different than what they really mean. And then we sometimes hear things different than what's being said. But when, when a wife says something one way, and then the husband, for instance, takes it literally, there's a misunderstanding there. You know, one of the other differences between men and women that we haven't talked about is that they do speak different languages, you know. Okay. And so you need to learn how to interpret and you need to learn how to translate. For, you want me to give you a, an example? Okay, a woman might come to her husband and say, we never go out. Now, 
What he heard is, you're not doing a good job. You're lazy, unromantic, and boring. But see, men have the ability to process that and at the same time come out with a very logical, reasonable, you know, thoroughly reasoned answer. And so the man's answer to that is, that's not true. We went out two weeks ago. But did she mean we never go out? What she meant. Now, here's what she meant. Now, the husband's all upset, right? But what did she mean? She meant, I feel like going out and doing something together. Uh, I love going. I love being with you. We always have such a fun time. Uh, would you take me out to dinner? What do you think? It's been a couple days. Now, what if he was able to translate that? There'd be no problem. But what do we have? We have a woman that all she wants to do is go to dinner. Hmm? And she's asking. But she said, we never go out. And he took it a different way than what was said. Misunderstanding. And you, you get a couple years of that, right? And you don't know the difference, then you have problems. Well, we don't want to just leave it on the women's side. Let's, let's, let's put the man in the hot seat. Because men, don't we do it too? How about this? Okay, men, you come home and the women see you and it's obvious you're upset about something. And she says, what's wrong, honey? And he says, so you guys don't need me to teach you today. You, you, you got this down. He says, nothing. Because men talk in abbreviation. See, nothing is short for nothing I can't handle alone. Thanks for asking, but please don't ask me any more questions about it. Isn't that what we're saying? Right? But what did we just say? Nothing. Leaving her to fill in the blank. Is that right? Now, how does she fill in the blank? Well, she can go a couple different directions. She can take nothing to mean nothing I want to talk to you about. I don't value your opinion. Your opinion's not important to me. Or she can take it a whole different way. When he just says nothing, she can interpret that to mean you don't really know what's wrong, so you want me to ask you repeated questions so we can find out together. But is that true? No, but is that how the women interpret it sometimes? Everybody say it with me. Women like to talk it out. Men like to work it out. Is that helping anybody? When you have misunderstanding and uh, it keeps going and it keeps building up, it leads to something called strife. Have you ever been in a home where there's strife? Or in a mall where there's strife, or in a car. I mean, I've I've seen people. You ever seen people driving in a car, and you can't hear anything, but you see. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. What do we mean by strife? Fighting, yelling, shouting, screaming, kicking, punching. That happens when people begin by yielding to their flesh. And end by yielding to a spirit of hatred. Amen. Oh, then now here, strife is not just a, I got angry. There's, there's spiritual stuff involved here. Right? I'll say that again. It's, uh, this is my definition, I guess. It's fighting, yelling, shouting, screaming, slapping, kicking, or punching that happens when you begin by yielding to your flesh and end up yielding to a spirit of hatred or yielding to the devil. Now, strife for some people, it's a daily occurrence in their home. 
sometimes three or four times a day. And they'll, they'll use excuses. They'll say, well, I'm Italian. Hmm? Well, I've got Irish blood. Or I'm Indian. Or whatever, Jewish, whatever it is. But you know what? Not one of those is accurate. Because that has nothing to do with strife. The, the, the truth is, it's because I'm carnal. Flesh ruled. Paul, I won't have you turn here for time's sake, but uh, we're, we're going to turn to some other scriptures. But in 1 Corinthians 3, the third verse, Paul said, I hear that there is strife and envying among you guys and you're carnal. He said you're carnal because I hear about strife. Amen. So uh, it's not it's not Italian. It's not Irish. Right. OK, now. Now, there are there are those families that I mean, I have some Italian friends, man, they are loud. Right. I come from from a Jewish background, you know, I mean, some of my relatives, they argue over who's going to complain at the restaurant. Let me tell them it was terrible. The service was horrible. I kid you not. I've been to the restaurant. I want to crawl right under the thing. When we when we leave, I always take all the money out of my pocket and just throw it behind the little tip that they left. You know what I mean? Throw it all on the table because try and make up for what just what just happened. This fish was tough. Just loud. You know, everybody knows where you are. Well, in one sense and same with my Italian friends, you know, they're living life all the way. I mean, they have it turned up to 10 all the time. I like that about them. But. Uh, if you, it's not just your heritage to fly off the handle. You may have developed that habit by being, by seeing your family do it, but it's not your Italian blood, everybody. It's your flesh nature. It's what made you cry as a baby. Is the same thing that's making you cry as a 50-year-old. Somebody. Do you know that just as praise and worship, and we did some of that here this morning, just as praise and worship creates a habitation or an environment for the presence of God, strife creates an environment for the presence of the enemy. It's his place, man. It's, it's the place that he's the least restricted in. Is arguing and, and all that. He has a wide open door. Go ahead and turn now to James, the book of James, the third chapter, if you would. James chapter 3. I'm excited about the results in, in folks' lives. Uh, and I believe a lot of folk will get this series pre-marriage. Amen. Matter of fact, uh, you know, I, I'm really thinking about anybody that would want to get married here or, or having us involved, then this is going to have to be a part of it. Because I think it would really set, help set a good foundation. And uh, you do realize I could have taken 25 weeks and not exhausted it. There's so much, but but there's a lot of good books out there too. Uh, matter of fact, if any problems that you're having, any areas you're having problems in, there's probably a good book on it. Amen. Sometimes that's all it takes. James three verse sixteen says, "Where you have envy and selfish ambition." Now that's the NIV. Uh, the King James says, "Where envying and strife is, there is confusion." And every evil work. Is strife something you want to have a lot of? No, you don't. Uh, Proverbs 17. Why don't you go there? We're going to look at a couple verses in Proverbs. So just go ahead and turn to the book. Proverbs 17. I found it. You guys find it yet? 
Say uh-huh if you're there. Okay, that's most of us. Proverbs 17, 1. Look what it says, everybody. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Listen to the Living Bible. The Living Bible says a dry crust eaten in peace is better than steak every day along with argument and strife. Amen. How come that is? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be good to have all the, the best? I mean, didn't the Bible say you'd eat the best of the land? Yeah, but you're not going to keep it if there's strife there. There's another verse we're not going to look at. It says, uh, the beginning of strife is as, one, is as when one lets out water. Now think of this. You ever had a tub uh, or one of those coolers that you had the ice in, the ice melted? And what did you do at the end of the day? You pulled that plug on it, let the water out. Well, listen, you get all filled up with the anointing, filled up with the blessings of God. Things start coming in. What does strife do? Pulls the plug out on it. It said the beginning of strife. It's in there somewhere in Proverbs. You can go find it. Is as when one lets out water. Oh, man, you don't want it. But now we're talking about misunderstandings is what leads to strife so much of the time. I realize that every once in a while, one of the partners will do something so crazy that it'll just cause something. But most of the time, it's misunderstanding. But, you know, misunderstandings, do you know most of the time you're arguing for no good reason? But now, see, you got in strife and you have darkness and death working in the home. And have you ever, you know, gotten together again with your spouse or whatever and said, what were we arguing about anyhow? Ever, anybody ever heard that? It was all a big misunderstanding. So let me tell you a couple ways how to avoid strife. May I? Three things here. Number one, walk with God and walk in humility. I got you in Proverbs. Do we not? Go to the 28th, verse, 28th chapter. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs, you know. Uh, you could read a chapter every day of the month. And men, you want to give your wife a good Christmas present? Read Proverbs 31. And then treat her like the Proverbs 31 woman that she is. And then get her something tangible for Christmas too that she can return the next day like this. <laughs> All right, Proverbs 28, the 25th verse says, He that is of a proud heart stirs up strife. Proverbs 28, 25. He that is of a proud heart stirs up strife. That's the King James. So what did we say, step one? You need to walk in some humility. But you know pride always has to have the last word. How do arguments go on? Somebody keeps it going. Then the other person keeps it going. So we're talking about how to avoid it. Don't feel like you always have to have the last word. Yeah, but I'm right. What's that matter? It'll come out in the wash eventually. Huh? You'll be justified if you were right. You'll be proven right. You don't have to have the last word. Number two, walk in love. And when you walk in love, uh, the Bible says love doesn't even take into account the evil suffered to it. It doesn't pay any attention to a suffered wrong. So love is quick to let it go. Everybody say, let it go. Not let it be, let it go. Let it go. Can you do that? 
When you get stirred up, can you just let it go? That's not easy, is it? But you got to. You got to. You're not hurting. You're not hurting the other person by keeping on to it. We'll talk about that in a second. Do you know love buries things? It doesn't dig them up. I said love buries things. It doesn't dig them up. And so if you're digging stuff up and dragging it through the mud and trying to make it painful for the other person, you're not walking in love and you're disobeying all 10 of the commandments because Jesus said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Then wouldn't you think the new commandment replaces the old commandments? Well, all those old commandments are contained in the new commandment. You walk in love. You're not going to be coveting your neighbor's wife. You're not going to be murdering. You're not going to be stealing. Right. Anything that you can think if you're walking in love. Number three, practice communicating passively. You hearing me? Because people develop the habit of raising their voices because they haven't ever taken control of their flesh. Do you know it's, a, it's as easy and a lot less stressful on your heart to communicate in normal tones? Even if you get upset? Now, do turn to Proverbs 15.1. Proverbs 15.1. I'll read it in the NIV first. It says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Here's the King James, okay? A soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Do you want to turn away trouble or stir it up? Hmm? Talking here about how to avoid strife. You can do it. Now, finally, just give me another minute. I say minute, you know I mean five or ten. But we're doing good on time, I, I promise. We must have, I thought there was no way we were going to get through this because I had a lot, uh, I had about four pages of notes. That's about four pages more than I usually come with. Usually I have about a page, you know, and I can preach, you know, an hour from that page if I want to. But um, we're, we're almost done. You've been, you've been good receivers. God's been good. I pray I've done my part. But I want to give you, okay, we talked about how to avoid strife, but what if you do lose it? Let me give you, now listen, I want to give you the three R's for rapid reconciliation. You like that? The three R's for rapid reconciliation. I need to copyright this. What to do if you lose it? The three R's for rapid re reconciliation. You want to say that about three times fast? Three R's for rapid reconciliation. I can't say it one time fast. Number one. You ready for number one? Starts with R, of course. Repent quickly. Repent quickly. To God and to each other. Well, who should repent? The one that was right or the one that was... Both of you. How many does it take? takes two to get in a, in a big fuss. Huh? Repent quickly. Number two, resolve quickly. Resolve it. You know, be the first. Just uh, you be the first to apologize, whether you feel like you were right or whether you feel like you were wrong. This is not easy to do all the time. But listen, if you, if you, if you walk with God at all, at least occasionally, and you see his blessings in your life, you know how far out it takes you when you get in, when you lose it.
that really takes you way off the path of blessing. And if you've tasted the goodness of God, what do you want to do? You want to be on the path. You don't want to be spending hours, days, weeks. I'll tell you, if, I mean, if we ever do get, we rarely, uh, hardly ever disagree too much. Now, she disagrees with me, I guess, more than I disagree with her, because I think she's perfect, you know. But, I mean, real quick, almost immediately, we, we, we get it right, man. Do you know a lot of couples, what they'll do is they'll just go their way and kind of, kind of, until they forget about it and then just move on. You might think that's okay. But let me tell you, it, it is, now you might need to get away and cool down before you say something else that you're going to regret and before you do something that you'll regret, regret. Regret. I'm talking like Elma Fudd. <laughs> that wasco we wabbit, see, it's the wabbit reconciliation. <laughs> But let me tell you this. Listen, acting like it never happened with your spouse and never resolving it, that is ungodly. How many of you here, if you were driving a car and you hit another car and mangled the front end, would just keep driving? Huh? With a bumper scrape. Would you do that? Well, see, why do people do that with their marriages? They don't see the damage that they just caused. It doesn't show up right away. But I'm telling you, they have opened the door in an area by not resolving by not coming together, by not saying, hey, listen, well, I, I, I don't know if I was right or wrong, but I'll just be wrong. I'm sorry. And then the other person says, no, let's share it. If you got any love about you, you're going to come together and do that. Come together, make it right as soon as possible. One last verse we'll have you look at today. Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. Twenty sixth verse. Says this. In your anger, do not sin. Everybody, you know it's not a sin to get angry. But you can get angry and sin. There's things to get angry. I mean, there's things in your life, if the devil shows up, you need to get angry with some righteous indignations, as we call it. Amen. But that's different than flying off the handle and sinning, right? But look what it says after that, would you? In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And then it says, and don't give the devil a foothold. In other words, by letting the sun go down on your anger, by keeping it, you're opening the door for who? Mr. Loser to come in and cause some trouble. So number one, you want to repent quickly. You want to resolve quickly. And then number three, you want to restore quickly. Restore quickly. Talking about forgiving. Listen, everyone, if you've forgiven the other person, then they don't owe you anything. If you have forgiven them, they don't owe you anything. They don't even owe you an, an apology. If you've forgiven. For Give. The word gives in there. If you give, do people owe you? Forgive. If, you forg if I forgive my brother, he doesn't owe me anything. Now, we talked about it is right to apologize. But don't, don't say any of this. Well, I'm not talking to them until they come and get down at my feet and bring me flowers or, or you know, do this for me or whatever. That is so ungodly. That is so wrong. Silent treatment is about the most ungodly thing you can do. Have, have most of us done it? Probably. Now, I'm not saying it's not okay. You might need to pull back 
You might need to take 10, 15 minutes. Guys may need to go out the door, drive around the block. Hmm? So you don't hit something or someone or you know what I mean? Cooling down's okay, but then listen, get after it. It did happen. Face it. None of this, oh, okay, well, I'll just let it go. No, you wouldn't do it with your car if you hit something. Don't do it with your marriage. Take care of the damage. It could be repaired instantly. Amen. Get the dings out of it. Never hold a grudge. Never hold a grudge. Never, 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 never hold a grudge. If you go to your spouse and you bring up something he, he or she did 15 years ago, you're way off. You're way off. If, it's, if, it, if you're forgiven, it's gone. If they're being stubborn, if they're being unrepentant, do you have enough faith in God that God will deal with them about it? Can you believe that? I mean, even if they're not a Christian, God can deal with them about it. And He will. You're forgiving them really quickly though, can help them see what they should do and do the same thing. Amen. It hurts you to hold a grudge. It doesn't hurt the other person. It keeps your prayers from being answered. It keeps your blessings from coming. The three R's for rapid reconciliation. You want to repent quickly. You want to resolve it quickly. You want to restore and forgive quickly, right away. Amen. You get out of sin right back into love and you go on. Amen. And the door's shut and the devil said, well, that didn't work. Have to try something else. Amen. You can develop it. You can develop the habit. Amen. Well, we've given you a lot. I have a handout here I want to leave you with. I didn't think I'd get get to it and I really am out of time. So I'll just give it to you. It's called How to Get an A in Marriage. I'll just read this through with you. You might want to laminate this. You may want to put this on your spouse's pillow at night before. Number one, keep a good attitude. Be a positive person to be around. Number two, this is how to get an A. All these start with A. You figure that out. Number two, attempt to understand your mate. That takes effort. This sums up all we've talked about. Number three, actions are as important as words. Number four, adapt to each other. People get in strife because they won't adapt. I'm going to be me, bless God, and they can just... Adapt to me. No, adapt to each other. Number five, make adjustments when you're wrong. Everybody say, I'm sorry. Can you, are you, are you capable of saying those two words? Okay, use them on your spouse once in a while. Number six, anticipate your mate's needs. Praise God. Isn't it, wouldn't it great if husbands can meet her needs before she breaks down and has to cry? Number seven, express affection physically. And verbally, number eight, pay attention to warning signs. In other words, you see something's wrong, don't ignore it. Number nine, don't assume when you should ask. We could apply that a thousand different ways, couldn't we? And then number 10, avoid absolutes in communication. You know what I mean by that? Saying, well, you always do this. You never do that. That's not even true. Avoid absolutes. In communication, if you do these things, your marriage will have an awesome atmosphere in which to grow. Let's everybody stand. We'll pray. Hey, everyone. This is Joel Siegel once again. Hey, can I have just another moment of your time, please? Thank you, by the way, for listening to these messages. I hope they were a real blessing to you. They, the, the truth sure have been a blessing in my life. I know they will in yours also. 
Listen, I want to make sure that if you're listening to these messages that you know for certain that, say, for instance, your heart was to stop beating today. Do you know that you would go to heaven for sure? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Uh, You get a lot of answers to that question. Some people say, well, you know, I'm a good person and I'm glad you're a good person, but being a good person does not make you a Christian. Some people say, well, pastor, you know, I go to church and I'm glad you go to church, but do you know that going to church does not make a person a Christian? Some people say, well, I was raised in a good Christian home, and I'm so glad that you were, but that does not, does that make you a Christian? You know, the Bible doesn't say anywhere that those who are raised in a good home are going to be going to heaven. No, Jesus uh, is the one who came, who died, who paid the price for us to go. The Bible says he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, and nobody can come to the Father but by him. You know, if we want to go to heaven, and let me assure you that you do, there is a place called hell that is real, it is eternal punishment, it is it is just terrible in every way, and uh, you don't want to go there. There is a place called heaven that is wonderful in every way. You want to go there, but listen, everyone, you don't go by wishing, you don't go by, by just, you know, repeating prayers over and over again. You can only go God's way, and thank God we know God's way. He's told us in his word, the Bible. You know what Jesus said to a man named Nicodemus one day is true for us all. Nicodemus was a a person that is probably not unlike a lot of the people listening to this recording. He was a good man. He was a very religious man. He was a faithful man in his religion. Um, He was a man who knew the words of God and had studied a lot. Uh, You'd call him a leader. If If it was the church today, you would call him a church leader. Nicodemus was a very good man. I mean, I dare say he was probably a better person than most of us. Well, Nicodemus came to Jesus one day, and it's interesting uh, that when Nicodemus started talking to Jesus about spiritual things, Jesus did not say, hey, Nicodemus, I'm so glad that you and I are going to be together in heaven. He didn't say that. He, He brought up something that was probably a shock to Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you can't go. You can't enter in to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Well, what is this born again all about? That's the way, my friends, that we can get to heaven through Jesus Christ. Jesus said you must be born again. So I'm glad about all the other things. If you're a good person, a, you know, a person that even has knowledge of God and, and is in a church and things like that, terrific. But if you have not been born again, none of those things matter. Let's get right now to that which does matter. What does it mean to be born again? You know, really to put it as simply as I know how, it means that you make a decision to give God all your heart. And in return, he gives you a brand new nature on the inside. And it's by virtue of that decision that you become a child of God. You sometimes hear in our society, well, we're all children of God. That is so untrue. That is so incorrect. Children of God can only be born into the family of God spiritually. And that's what Jesus meant when he said you must be born again. So that's something that all of us must do. If you haven't done it, uh, it's something that can happen right now. Listen, how do you get born again? Very easy. Romans chapter 10 says that if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you'll believe in your heart, see, it's a heart decision. If you'll believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
my friend, you can have absolute confidence by the time you turn this this recording off today that heaven is your home. So let's just release our faith right there, uh, right in this area. If you've never prayed and asked the Lord to come into your heart, if you've never made that decision to give your heart to the Lord, do it right now. Why don't you just pray this prayer after me? You know, it's not the words that are so important. It's your heart. Do you mean it? Are you ready to give the Lord your all? Pray this with me. Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he paid the price, that he suffered and died for the sin of the world. And that includes my sins. The price has been paid. And I thank you for that, Lord. Thank you also that you said in your word that if I would confess with my mouth the Lordship of Jesus in my life, and if I believe in my heart that he's risen from the dead, that I'd be saved. Father God, right now, I come to you and I receive Jesus as my Lord. I do believe that he died for my sins and was risen again the third day and is alive right now. And I do say that Jesus is my Lord. Father, I give you my heart. I give you my life. Take it and do your will with it. And I thank you that in exchange... You've given me a new life and a home in heaven. Thank you, Father, that I'm your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that, oh, it's just such an awesome, wonderful thing. And I want to encourage you, drop me an email and let me know that you have. Go to one of our websites. You can go to www.biggodmedia.com or at the church, www.goodnewsfamilychurch.org. And there's, there's ways to contact us there, and we will rejoice with you. You know, one important thing is to get in a good church and begin to grow spiritually. And uh, we can help you find one of those as well. And if you're in the western New York area, Good News Family Church is a great place. We invite you to come be with us. Bless you. We'll talk to you again.